Welcome to the Dr. Renee Frazier Show. Delighted to have you. This month is Women's History Month, and we're featuring women and leadership, women and success. In this month, I want to talk a lot about the ways in which women can be more successful. And as everyone knows, on the Renee Frazier Show, we talk about mindset and practical tips. My theme is why women, and we have led with conversations about why women succeed, why women lead differently, why women have to make tougher choices than men. And many of these subjects resonate with all of us. During this month, we're going to talk about how women succeed and give women actionable ways in which they can be more successful. In this show, we're going to be talking about women being leadership leaders in their fields, in their world, in their spheres of influence, whether it's a school system, whether it's their business. But we're also going to talk about women in technology. For the first part of the show, I want to introduce an expert who's been an award-winning author, civil rights attorney, and CNN legal analyst. Her name is Ariva Martin. Ariva recently released her fourth book, Awakening Ladies, Leadership and the Lies We've Been Told. I'd like to talk with her more about what are those lies we've been told and how can we be greater leaders. Ariva, welcome to the Renee Frazier Show. Thank you for having me. Ariva, I really appreciate being here and I think your book contains a lot of insights. By way of background, I'm a social psychologist. I run an advertising and marketing firm. I've spent uh, my last 22 years in doing focus group insight interviews with women as decision makers and as a women's advocate for women and women in entrepreneurship. So a lot of my questions revolve around the mindset and the psychology. Let me ask you first, why did you write this book? What was your goal? What was your intention? I wrote it because I was frustrated with what I saw in the literature relating to women in leadership, there was a period where Sheryl Sandberg's book and her philosophy about leaning in had become the main discourse around how women could be successful in the workplace. And as you know, Sheryl later refined the book, uh, made some statements that uh, reflected that she had grown in terms of uh, her knowledge base or understanding of how that concept of lean in didn't fit for your every average, you know, your everyday woman who didn't have a staff of 10 at their home, <laughs> didn't have a driver, didn't have a cook, you know, didn't have all of those uh, exactly. you know, things that she has as a, a millionaire, billionaire, you know, corporate uh, leader. So, but I still felt like there was some narrative out there that put the blame on women for not achieving certain milestones or not being as successful. So I wanted to correct the record. I wanted to set the record straight. I, I wanted to counter that narrative. I wanted to uh, cause conversations uh, to exist that looked at what I thought to be the real culprit. And that's not women, not working hard enough, not quote unquote leaning in, but it's systems that have been in place for centuries that really were designed to promote and cause the success of men but not that of women. So I wanted to call that out. I wanted people to think about it. I wanted women to feel better about themselves and their their achievements and the work that they've done. And I also wanted to spark change. So, you know, those are the real reasons why I wrote the book. I love it. And I think you're absolutely right. Uh, Cheryl 
you know, uh, had the right intentions, but she didn't see the world around her. And uh, I, I think we all have to be aggressive in our in in, in promoting ourselves. But uh, we have other priorities. Talk to me about the way you see the system biased against women and what's held us back. Yeah, the system is, was designed for men. It was designed for men to be the, the breadwinners, to be the primary uh, you know, people who worked outside the home. And so when you look at most corporate structures, it's set up for a, a male a patriarchal, uh, right. you know, to support patriarchy, to support men, men who are not generally the primary caregivers at home. So that's why most jobs don't offer a paid leave for mothers who have to take time off for their children, who uh, most jobs don't provide uh, daycare and other kinds of support that make it easier for women to work in the workplace. A lot of jobs don't even make it conducive for pregnant women to work in the workplace, for women who are nursing to work in the workplace. Uh, I've talked to untold number of women who talked about hiding their pregnancies. Yes. Uh, I was one of those women that hid Me my too. pregnancy for many months uh, right. for fear that I would be seen as less than, less than capable, less than committed, and that that would diminish my status amongst my clients and even my, my staff that, you know, I, I manage. So that's what I mean when I talk about the system. The system didn't contemplate that women would be seven months pregnant or would be, you know, two months after childbirth and needing a place to nurse their kids or needing to bring a two-year-old into an office or to a, into a child care center or needing to take time off, not just to care for children, but we know women are the primary caregivers for aging parents and sick relatives. Absolutely. So, let, me, let me add an about to that. I think it not only was it designed for men, it was designed for men who have a wife at home. Yes, right? absolutely. And a wife at home that's doing their laundry, that's exactly. making sure all of their making bills doctor's appointments, absolutely. picking up the kids, doing all yes. the other life work that... You know, and in fairness, I think men have seen that, too. I mean, I, I think some younger men have really stepped in and want to have this balance. I know in a few cases, you know, not a high percentage, but we do see men staying at home and they're experiencing, uh, you know, they, they need the help as well. Are there any companies or policies you'd like to point out that really are appropriate? I mean, we just talked about paid leave opportunities for women to have lactation rooms. Um, what other recommendations would you make for companies to make it more women-friendly, especially as yeah. leaders? Yeah, I think companies, uh, obviously, the paid leave, child care, lactation rooms, uh, you know, those are some of the most obvious things that can happen. Pay equity, big one. We are still in 2022 dealing with the fact that women make less for the same job as men. And we know for minority women, women of color, black women, Latino women, that number is even less. So one of the things that companies can do immediately, and this doesn't take legislation, although we know there is legislation around pay equity, but companies have the ability themselves to ensure that they are not paying women for the same job less than they pay men. And time and time again, I interviewed women uh, for the book, and many told me they often learn that their male counterparts earned more money for the same job. And when they confronted their bosses, there were all kinds of excuses and reasons to justify it. But that's still a part of the system where men are thought of as the breadwinners. And we got to make sure Johnny is paid because he has this house to take care of and this family to take care of. 
And a lot of companies not recognizing that women are more often than not the head of the household and women single family households because of either not being married or divorce or separation, that women are leading households. So that's another big one that just really angers me to think that women still aren't being paid equal to men. And we just saw that with the big soccer uh, federal, you know, the the U.S. soccer team, that big settlement that they just got. Even in professional sports women aren't valued in the way that men are. That's true. And let me let me speak to that. A few weeks ago, I had Jeannie Harrison on, who is a lawyer and has worked in this area for equity for women, especially pay equity. Two things that uh, she shared with us. The laws have changed. HR directors have to tell you what other people make. So you can actually raise the question of pay equity on your job and there should be no retribution. Secondly, she had just settled riot games where there were pay inequities and sexual harassment, got $100 million as a settlement for the women in that company. So there are actions we can take now. And I also interviewed Gloria Allred, and she gave me a strong piece of advice. Be the change. Don't be afraid to go to HR and ask about pay equity. Uh, Don't be afraid to ask and talk to an attorney on a free consultation basis to find out what your rights are. Uh, unfortunately, I think we live in a world where we have to force consciousness and the raise these issues. Would you agree? I do. And I also think we still live in such a, a stratified world where all of those those recommendations that Gloria and that other lawyer made are excellent. But when you're talking about women making $10 an hour, $12 an hour, who are in the l- low wage jobs, which we learned through covid most women of color are concentrated in these uh, you know, healthcare, hospitality, low-wage jobs. They you don't are right. feel empowered. You to are right. Challenge their HR, uh, you know, managers, their bosses. So we've got to think about the ways in which, again, the system can change. We can't just put it all on the women because, again, if you are a partner in a law firm and you're asking the managing partner, are you making the same as the other partner sitting next to you? That's one thing. But again, if you're working at Wendy's or McDonald's and that's the only income you have and your, your rent is due and your car note is due and food is, is due, you're not going to feel like you have that kind of power totally to and challenge your boss. So these, these solutions have to work for those who don't have a voice as much as they do for those who are in positions of power. You are listening to the uh, Renee Frazier Show, and we're talking with Ariva Martin, who's written a great book about ladies' leadership and the lies we've been told. Ariva, you made a good point. This apply doesn't apply to all women. Let's talk in the next segment about how women of color can be advanced and what we can be doing uh, to help those women as allies and 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 as civic-minded individuals, because you're right, the women in healthcare and hospitality have been adversely affected by COVID. Stay tuned. We'll be talking with Ariva Martin. What can we actually do to make change happen? Welcome back to the Dr. Renee Frazier Show. I'm a psychologist and an advertising person who wants to be an advocate for you and for women. We're talking today about how women have been unfairly treated in the workplace. And we're talking with an expert, Ariva Martin, who's written a wonderful book called Ladies, Leadership, and the Lies We've Been Told. 
Areva, we were talking about women of color and the situations they've been placed in that make it even harder for them to become advocates for pay equity, as I was recommending in the last segment, and you were right to call me on it. Tell me about the lies that women have been told and what are the situations women of color find themselves in that, that need to be addressed to bring more equity and access? Well, starting with the lies, in the book, I outlined five lies, Dr. Frazier. And by no means is that meant to be an exhaustive list, because I think women have been told a lot more lies than five. You know, there's some limits when you're writing a book in terms of pages, et cetera. <laughs> so I Very focus true. on those five because they're the ones I think are, you know, are the most prevalent and, are, and they are the ones that were told to me most often in my childhood and my young adulthood and, you know, just my, my entire professional career. And the first one I, I focused on is that your hard work is enough. You know, women are constantly told, and that's kind of the message and lean in is you have to work harder, work harder, take on more assignments, come to work earlier, stay later, uh, be willing to travel, work on the weekends. And this notion that somehow your work, your, your talent, uh, is going to guarantee you equity in the workplace. And what we know is that's absolutely positively false and that many men have advanced in corporate environments, in government environments and others because of nepotism, because of relationships, because they are legacy children of other you know, pioneers in that particular organization. So this notion that we can get where we need to be by ourselves just by our sheer hard work is a false and misleading uh, statement that is told to women over and over again. And we need to to be clear. We need to be transparent about all the subjective things that go into who gets that promotion, who gets the CEO's job, who gets that next big job. The, 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 The cards are stacked against us. And you're right. We are told just work hard. What can we do about it? What can women do about it? What would you advise? Yeah, I think when you had asked what can more women who are in more privileged positions like you and like me who have either education privilege, have financial privilege or status privilege. I mean, we can go through a list of privileges. The first thing is recognizing, first of all, that we do have this privilege, uh, even though I grew up poor in a housing project, a disabled grandmother on food stamps. I graduated from Harvard Law School, so I have privilege because of my education. I am a lawyer. I'm two percent of you know, the world of is a black lawyers. I'm in this very exclusive club of, of black women lawyers. So I, I have a lot of privilege in that regard. I don't have race privilege. I'm not a white woman, but we all are who are privileged have to recognize that our situations are dramatically different. So right. I'm not the person that I grew up with in the housing project. So when we have an opportunity to lift our voices and to support policies that will help those women we need to do that. It may not be important to me to have free childcare because I can afford childcare, but it's right. very important to that single mom, that that mom who you know has five kids, who's a, a working class mom. So we can't become so removed from those women that we're not using our privilege, our power, our influence, our platform to help create opportunities and pathways for them. And I see too often that when women get in high positions, they don't send the ladder back down. They don't do enough to lift up and bring up other women. And they can do that through mentorships. They can do that through being an ally, being an advocate, being a champion, and also supporting these more macro policies that are going to even the playing field 
even for that low income earning wage earning uh, mom or, or it's single a re- really good piece of advice. And let me recommend that we think about supporting Biden has a program where we get parent uh, assistance when you have children, as well as free uh, kindergarten, not ki- uh, pre-K for children at four years old. So th- those two things are good things to support. And I agree with you about sending the ladder back down, finding ways to help women. In my company, we're now close to 60% people of color, majority women. And we deliberately did that, realizing that we needed to better reflect the community that we're, we're, we're a part of here in Los Angeles. So I'm proud to say we've done that. The team has really been a part of that. It's not just me. Uh, but I love that phrase, sending the ladder back down. Let's go to the second lie. Yeah, the, the, the other one that really gets me upset and it was true for most of the women I talked to is this notion that women can't have it all, that we have to make a choice between having a family or a career. Never has a man been told, Decide if you want to be a CEO or a dad. But from very early ages, women are told, now, you know, if you want to get married and have a family, you can't work as much. You're going to probably have to you know, quit that job. And I'm a special needs mom. I have a son that's on the autism spectrum. And I can remember counseling so many professional women who were getting so much pressure from their families and their jobs to quit careers that they had worked years to establish so that they would be home to be the primary caregiver for the child. Now, the father wasn't getting that kind of pressure, but there was an expectation that a mom, whether she was a psychologist or a physician or a dentist, that she should leave her profession so she could care for her special needs child. And that, again, that is rank hypocrisy. And the only reason the, the system is set up that way is because the system was set up by men. If women had established a system, we would have taken into consideration that women have children and we got to make, you know, accommodations for that. And just because you have a child doesn't mean you're incapable of working or being successful or being equally as powerful. So that is another lie that younger women and I talk to younger women in their 20s and they start thinking about that. Well, does it even make sense to go to graduate school? Does it even make sense to pursue a career? Because I want to have a family. I can't do both. That's You're lot. right. When I talk to young women at, at universities, they, that's the first question they ask. How can I manage to have a family and be an entrepreneur? Or how can I manage to have a family and have a job? They're very concerned and it's oppressive. So what can women do about this? How do we turn that around? Well, first of all, as moms who are mothers of sons and grandmothers who have grandsons and any woman mm-hmm. that has a man in her proximity, we've got to start changing that mindset. We have an obligation to raise the next generation of men so that they're not expecting their wives, their girlfriends to give up their careers, that they are growing into relationships with a 50-50 mindset, that my career is as important as yours and your career is as important as mine. And that way they will take those same, that same mindset into the workplace. So when they're setting up policies when they are the CEO. And I always tell dads and men when I talk to them at conferences where I speak, think about your daughter. You don't want your daughter to walk into a workplace where it's already pre-established that if she has a child, she's automatically going to be put on a mommy track and not able to be on a path to be the CEO or a COO of that company. And most men don't raise daughters with the expectation that the daughter is going to get stymied in the workplace because of some antiquated rule. But yet these same men are 
the purveyors and the, the, the gatekeepers of these rules. So it's just about changing, getting men to recognize. And when I talk to, again to younger men, they get it. And they say, oh, my God, no one has ever said this to me. So we're not talking to these younger men enough about these issues. So that's one of the first things we can do is talk to our sons, our brothers, our uncles, our fathers, the men that we know who are in charge in these major corporations and cause them to reflect on what they are doing or not or they are not doing. You're right, Areva, and I think we should even confront the men we know, <clears throat> the men who run companies, who run divisions. Would you want your daughter? Because they don't even see it. Sometimes no. they don't even see it. They and don't see it. Here, we can, we can confront them. And the more successful we are and the privileges you talked about, the more it's all incumbent upon us to be an advocate, a voice for those women. So you're absolutely right. Uh, this idea that you cannot have it all. Tell me your third lie. I'd love to get into the third one. Yeah, the third one is around beauty. So we are, again, told that our looks don't matter, that it's just, you know, what we have upstairs, what we have in the inside. But yet we know the beauty industry is like a 60 billion, 100 billion dollar industry. And women are judged. There are all kinds of studies that show that particularly women of color are judged by how close they look to this Eurocentric white woman image of beauty, which is why we went through this whole period of of black women fighting back to even just wear their hair naturally in the workplace. We saw lawsuits. The Crown Act that uh, Mitchell put through in California. Absolutely. And it's been enacted in other states across the country. But the fact that we needed a law that would allow (laughs) a black woman to wear cornrows or twists or a natural hairstyle again, shows how beauty is such a part of how successful a woman will be in the workplace. What we wear, again, such a part of what, how we're judged, how much we weigh. Totally agree, Ariva. But this is a tough one to fight because you've got the beauty industry and uh, sexuality coming at us. How do we fight this one? What advice do you give? Again, it, it's, it's pushing back on the notion, talking to the folks, the powers that be. So we've got to get the powers that be. And these are men. So the book is uh, about women in the workplace, but the book is about the structures that deny women opportunities and those structures are controlled by men. So it's really a book for men as much as it is for women, because I want men talking about these issues and I want men to be aware of these issues. And we've got to get men to understand that a woman in the workplace who wears natural hair or straight hair or short hair or no hair has to be judged by her ability to perform the job. So, no, you're right. It is going to be tough because the beauty industry is so huge and because the images of what beauty is are so pervasive in this country and so much money is spent, you know, disseminating those images and holding those images up. But it doesn't mean it can't be broken just because it's hard. So You're I don't right. buy You're into right. the notion that we can't change it because it's difficult. We change it when we recognize it and we start talking about it. If we can get enough people talking about it, then we can get people acting on it. So that's what the book is meant to do. So really meant to cause people to have these uncomfortable conversations. And hopefully those conversations then lead to sustainable, substantive action. But we're not even having the conversations in a lot of cases. So this is, for me, the first step. And I tell people all the time, I don't have all the answers. I don't profess to. These are 
complex, multi-generational, decades-old problems. But I feel like we can start to chip away at them if we're at least having the right conversations. And I felt for years we weren't having the right conversations because we were putting the blame on women. And we needed to stop that. And we needed to say to women, you are okay because you've overcome despite all these obstacles. That's why Nancy Pelosi and Kamala Harris sat behind Joe Biden for the first time in our history at that State of the Union address and made history. So women are achieving even despite these obstacles, but we could have more women achieving and breaking barriers if we start focusing on the structure and not on the women. Thank you. Reva Martin, it's been a terrific talking with you. And and I love the idea of instigating uncomfortable conversations for change. I want to recommend everybody look at the book, purchase the book, Ladies, Leadership and the Lies We've Been Told. And this is for men and women. Thank you, Ariva. Been terrific talking. Thank you, Dr. Frazier. Back on again. Absolutely. Thank you. Welcome back to the Dr. Renee Frazier Show. I'm a psychologist and advertising executive who wants to use the airwaves to share with women practical tips and understanding of the issues and the obstacles that we face. We've been talking in this month of March about how women can achieve more success and more leadership roles. And today, this point, we're going to turn to women in technology with a woman named Carolyn Layton, who founded WITI, a women in technology group, in 1989. She's going to talk with us about the steps women can take. But first, let me start with some statistics. Uh, There's an acronym for the Google, App, Facebook, Amazon, and Microsoft companies called GAFM. In 2020, only 25% of their employees are women. And unfortunately, we can see there's a lot of statistics that's suggesting that men still have the lead in technology. 63% of men in tech firms think their companies are equal employers, but women don't see that. And we see that, for example, in Google, only 25.5% of their leaders on a global scale are women. Women are making strides in technology, but they're not adjusting as well as we would like to see. We have a woman who has addressed this issue and saw these issues way back in the 80s and 90s. Carolyn Layton, welcome to the show. Tell us the story of how you started Witty and why. Thank you, Renee. It's so good to be with you today. Um, When I had been uh, working with aerospace and technology companies through my the research company that I founded. I discovered I had a background in education. I discovered that um, women were feeling very frustrated. They were the women I was dealing with were engineers and scientists and physicists, highly educated, qualified, smart, committed, And they started sharing their frustration that they were not getting the project management jobs, getting promoted, that they were, those positions were going to guys uh, who weren't nearly as qualified. And I was so amazed and upset about this that I literally spent lots of sleepless nights 
trying to figure out what I could do to help these women. Because when I see a problem that that is really important to me, I go immediately to solutions. I don't spend time on anything else because time is so finite. So I love it. I love it, Carolyn. You're a change maker. So you formed this organization. And tell me what it did and how well it worked for women. So what I wanted, when I finally came up with the idea of the organization, I wanted to create an organization whose mission was to change the perception of women in corporate America, because I really believe that if these obstacles were occurring for women, it must be because the men who are the executives in making those decisions don't quite understand how capable these women are and how much they would benefit the company. So I took it from a very practical business point of view. I didn't want to have any meetings about balancing our lives and all of that stuff that was going on in the early 80s. I wanted serious to strategic discussions about how we could help women leverage their talents and capabilities. And what we did was we ended up uh, creating this. Until I did this, no one had created a industry hot standard conference for women in technology. There were little seminars and groups. All the conferences were male-centric. So I said, okay, we're going to have an industry conference that is a women in technology conference as the first step towards getting people to understand who these amazing women are. They may not even know they exist. Right, right. And, And then from there, we established the Women in Technology Hall of Fame because it was another platform for getting this, moving the needle and saying, oh, this isn't just a wife and a mother who comes in because she needs the money to support her family. This is a serious scientist and physicist who could really make a difference, especially in terms of different kinds of thinking, et cetera, et cetera. Right. At the same time I was moving in this direction, I was doing a lot of work for Hewlett Packard Labs, and I was really struck by the fact that before they developed any product, they would bring together a very diverse group of people, scientists, salespeople, people from different countries, just a very eclectic group of people to look at the product from all these different eyes. And I thought, that is so brilliant. That's smart. Here I am going to all these first-class companies, TRW, Aerospace, Oracle, blah, blah, blah. But nobody was doing this, but Hewlett Packard Labs. And I said, that's how I'm going to shape Witty because I know that if I can provide these women access to women in all aspects of technology, then when they get a chance to bid on a project, they can just pick up the phone and say, I know everything but this piece. Can you help me with it? Right. I, I can I can I just interrupt for a second? I, so it's very smart convening, right? Creating the conversation, bringing women together to see each other and to be able to connect. Men do yeah. that all the time, right? So that women could also come together and help each other find jobs, sign on for projects, put a team together. 
a very smart move. And let me just add one thing in terms of what you did with Witty at the beginning. Now, I'm part of 5050 Women on Boards, which is to an in, uh, in, uh, initiative and effort to bring more women onto corporate boards. We did the same thing. We held events across the country one a year, where we shared the data and we showed, we brought strong women who were board ready into a group discussion. The men came and said the same thing. I have no idea there were this many exactly. smart women. Yeah. Same thing. And it's, so it's still going on that we have to, we have to put it in front of men and we have to convene women so they can network strategically with each other. Tell and us more about what you did. But there is another point which you will appreciate, Renee, given the fact that you're a psychologist. And that is from the beginning, when I would go to companies to talk about women in technology, I would say to the men who came in expecting to be criticized and see a very angry woman, I'd say, you know, one of the things I noticed in aerospace companies especially were a lot of men were dying in, the, in their 40s of heart attacks. And I said, and I believe that what this is all about is giving men a chance to do what they want to do and creating equal partnerships with women because some men are going to be happier staying at home and some women are going to be happier being the breadwinner. But who cares as long as it's a fair partnership, right? And I... And that was especially important to say then, because when I started Witty around 89, there was a very strong women's movement on TV almost every day. And all you saw were very angry women, Yes, which was perpetuating the stereotype that women are just angry and emotional. That's right. Yeah. And it wasn't constructive. No. So you did a constructive discussion and you made it a win-win. So yeah. the men could ease off, have less heart attacks. Yeah. And women could play a role because we've heard that said, you know, you're missing out on 50 percent of the talent pool. Right. If yeah. you don't put women in. How did you how did you act on that insight with those men? Well, first of all, I made it clear that I really had great appreciation and respect for what they were doing. And I understood how they were just as women were socialized to be less than number one. They were socialized to believe that it was their responsibility to take a job, no matter how much they hated it, and pay all the bills. And sure. I said, that doesn't work on either side. And we're in this together. And I really believe that. So we welcomed Ben into our organization. Some of the greatest learnings we have is in our dialogue, not just with men, but with people from all over the world. And I, I can't even get why anybody would resist having a diverse executive team because it only is going to make their company better. Everyone on the team is going to learn more because the, the experiences are so different. Why surround yourself with people who think like yourself? And you're right. And, and the research shows that diversity stimulates innovation and creativity. Yeah. I want to tell our listeners, you're listening to the Dr. Renee Frazier show. We're talking about women and success and how that could be accomplished. We have on our show, Carolyn Layton, who started Witty, Women in Technology, and she really radically changed the willingness of technology companies to embrace women and empowered women. We'll talk more about how we bring men into the dialogue in our next segment. 
One of the important things Carolyn Layton did was bring men into WITI. And in my work on 5050 Women on Boards, we've brought men in as well. Unfortunately, some men say, I don't feel comfortable. I didn't know I was invited in. And it's interesting that we've maybe created this misperception that they aren't included. What should we as women do to make sure we're inclusive with men, as well as, of course, women from all kinds of backgrounds and men from all backgrounds? Stay tuned, and we'll talk more about that in the next segment with Carolyn Layton. You're listening to The Renee Frazier Show. Welcome back to the Dr. Renee Frazier Show. I talk on this show about women as change makers and women as leaders, so we get practical tips from those folks that we're talking with. Today, we're talking with Carolyn Layton, who started WITI, Women in Technology, and she changed the landscape and the mindset of both women and men, as we need to do as we make opportunities for women and we remove some of the obstacles. Carolyn, let's talk more about WITI and how you brought men into the organization and what benefit that was for both the organization and for the men themselves. Um, we invited men in. Um, we wanted, we let men know that we felt we all had problems in terms of the socialization we grew up with and that exists still today. Men were dealing with having to support the whole family issue, uh, not an equal partnership. Women were resentful and angry. And, and I knew that the only way it was ever going to get better for these women who motivated me to start witty was if we had a collaborative, positive, shared wisdom with all with each other, men, women, people from different countries, that the more diverse we could make this organization, the smarter we would all get and we'd all benefit. So one of the things I did early in Witty Renee is I made a I made it I wrote a code of ethics. And one of them is no one stands alone. Oh. I I had was so sick of going into before I started Witty all these business groups and everybody had their backs turned to me because I was often the only woman or one of three or something. So yes. I said, okay, I am not going to start a clicky organization for sure. How do I do that? So we made an announcement at every meeting. If you see anyone standing or sitting alone, it is your responsibility to invite them into the group. Change wow. everything. And it has, if you picture women all over the world getting ready for work and thinking to themselves, how am I going to psychologically handle the kind of dismissive, assaultive comments the subtle sexual innuendos, whatever it is that's making them feel less than, less respected, demeaned. Instead, just think of how powerful it would be if instead of even having to think about that stuff, they were thinking about how can I fix that problem in the software so it's really going to make us run more efficiently? What can we do differently from our competitors that will give us, blow us out of the water, right? Right. So that's 
what it, it's just common sense. And I, I just want to make positive impact for everybody, not just for women. <laughs> I am. I get it, Carolyn. I'm, I'm learning a lot from you. Let me let me let me talk about that for a minute and think it through with our listeners. You know, one of the things you did is you when you brought men in, you made it non-confrontational. Yes. And I think there, in my case, with the 50-50 women on boards, there's an assumption that there's confrontation. That's why we get the pushback from the men. I'm thinking now about the conversations I've had, and they don't want to be on the panel. They're not sure they'll fit in. And I realize it's because there's a perception that I didn't even address. I should have said, this is not confrontational. This is not about your fault. As you said, this is about socialization. And we all want diversity and change. Let me say one other thing, too. The The idea of writing a code of ethics is very smart. And in psychology, there are principles that have shown us that rather than change the attitude to try to educate consciousness raise with people, you, you change the behavior. Yes. And when you change the behavior, the attitudes start to change. So rather than talk about the fact that men are excluding women from conversations, I have been in those same meetings and I'm also short, so I think they also don't see you, right? So, but creating a code of ethics saying none of us stands alone. If you see a person alone, it's your responsibility. You're just changing the behavior. You're not. Yeah. And then the attitudes change because they see the value that those women bring in the conversation. And, you know, basically, I do believe that most people want to get along. They they don't want to have confrontations. They want to be productive. But we, you know, we spend our whole life acting out our unresolved conflicts of our childhood, which is why I brought coaching into Witty, because I'd love to end with what I feel women can do to make themselves more successful. Please, please. We want your advice. Thank you. you So we all know that we can't change anyone else but ourselves. And my advice to women who are really ambitious and determined about being successful or just do being effective in what they do and love to do is get some good coaching and get some good therapy. If it can only be one, get coaching because that usually covers both fields. But there is, I, I am so grateful that I had coaching and therapy early in my life when I was in my 20s so that I was able to see beyond this narrow prism that we're all dealing with. We're all looking through this very narrow prism of how we are, how other people are with so little information. So if you can do that, I think that's going to mean more for the future of your career than any other choice you could make. A really great advice, Carolyn. Getting a coach uh, is a, is an excellent point because you're allowed to talk to that person about your innermost issues and and to role play. Right? This man speaks to me this way. This situation that I've been. How should I have handled it? And and most of us don't have anyone else we can talk to about those things. You don't want to admit your weaknesses. Oh, yes. Yes. So it's a really good piece of advice. There are a lot of coaches out there now. Many, many people who are retiring have become coaches and want to share their wisdom and their mistakes. Because that's the other thing. Being vulnerable is now a part of good leadership. And when you're vulnerable, 
it's risky. So having a coach to help you with those vulnerabilities can mean you don't make mistakes along the way, or at least you minimize and mitigate those. Any other last piece of advice you'd like to give, Garolyn, and, and tell us how we can find out more about Witty? Well, if you go to WITI.com, you will see such amazing programs. Please read the Code of Ethics because I think you'll either decide this is an organization I definitely want to be part of or it's not, but it won't be anywhere in between. And um, we have programs, all of our programs are designed to educate each other, open doors to building relationships, which are critical for any future career, and also designed to help us not only develop hard skills, but soft skills, coaching circles, how to manage people who are difficult, or how do you deal with this decision? And all of those things are designed to help each woman and witty become as successful as possible, because we're totally committed. We've been committed for 32 years. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Carolyn Layton, the founder of Witty. A wonderful conversation. I've learned a great deal. Thank you for being on Thank the show. Thank you, It was such a pleasure. Let's talk again soon. Off, offline. <laughs> offline and off recording. We will. Okay. Well, if you've been listening to the Renee Fraser Show, the Dr. Renee Fraser Show, I'm a psychologist and an advertising person, communicator, but an advocate for women. On the show, we started with Ariva Martin, who's written a great book called Ladies Leadership and the Lies We've Been Told. What I found interesting about her, as you heard, she has said, let's look at the socialization in the system we live in that was arranged for men. And she lays bare some of the issues that we all have to confront in our own lives, what she calls the five lies. We covered that hard work will get you everywhere. It's not just hard work. We know there's nepotism, there's friendships, there are ways to work the system. And she advocated that those of us who have privilege and have achieved a lot, send the ladder back down, overtly help other women. That was an important lesson. The second one was you can't have it all. The system has been built without the identification, the ability of women to have families and older adults in their lives, parents that they care for. And we need to change the mindset. We saw that also in Carolyn Layton and Witty, which I'll come to in just a moment. And the third lie was looks don't matter. It's how much you think and how much how smart you are and how much you care. And unfortunately, we're fighting a beauty system and a culture where looks do make a difference. So we learned a lot. I advocate you read that book. But I wanted to close with Carolyn's comments. She started the organization Witty so that people could also have uncomfortable, important conversations and men could see the value that women bring. Please go to the witty.com website so you can learn more about their specific opportunities and check out that code of ethics, which really allowed for inclusiveness not just in information, but in actual behavior at the witty events. The last piece of advice was to get a coach. If you're a woman struggling with your success and your leadership opportunities, finding a coach is a good way to strengthen your own skills, better understand the issues. And as a psychologist, I have to say, to deal with some of those issues from your childhood you may be bringing into work. All good advice. What a wonderful show on how to strengthen your skills as a woman, how to be more successful, and talking with two women that are change agents. You've been listening to The Renee Frazier Show. 
Remember, I have an advertising and marketing firm called Fraser Communications. And on our website, you can reach us as well as listen to our other interviews. Thank you for listening to the Renee Fraser Show. Have a great week ahead.